Hi and welcome to the Listen to Your Footsteps podcast hosted by myself, Kojo Buffum. The podcast is an extension of my recently published book of the same name, a collection of essays, reflections and poems on a range of subjects including fatherhood, identity and music. My guest today is Mokena Makeka. He's a many things and wears many hats influenced by the different spaces, geographical, mental and physical that he's interacted with over the years. Coming to prominence in South Africa and globally as an architect, he applies for a love for poetry, hip-hop, pan-Africanism and design with an inherent curiosity that takes him down many paths. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Okay, so you, like me, have many labels and titles attached yeah. to your name. Um, but it always feels like the starting point was architecture or architect. What, where were the seeds of architecture planted? Wow. I mean, it's such, it's such a good question um, because, I mean, there's different ways of looking at where the beginning started. First of all, I can say with confidence, I first heard the term architecture at high school in Lesotho. Uh, my best friend, uh, Tabang Marshalogo, we were doing art together and he was drawing a house and I said, what are you doing? He, he said, that's architecture. I said, what is that? You know, so that's the first time I actually heard the word. Um, needless to say, I, I wasn't mature enough to really appreciate it at the time. I was quite dismissive of him drawing houses and windows. I, I thought it was uh, a waste of my time. Um, but if I think about when I was aware of space or uh, aware of the spaces that I was in, that was very early on, like, like literally some of my earliest memories are, you know, being a, a kid in DC and climbing on statues and being around memorials and, and just being in awe of some of these spaces that I was in, but I had no idea what it was, right? You know, mm -hmm. you just see like an amazing volume, huge columns, interesting structure, you're like, whatever. Um, so I think the real transition for, for it to meet, for it to really sit with me, uh, as something that 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 resonated was when I was doing my first year at um, at UCT, and you know, by strange confluence, you know, ba basically being dared to to do architecture by somebody, um, because I was very frustrated with engineering. Um, I I yeah, I stumbled upon the profession, and what I liked about it was that it was fifty fifty poetry, abstract, the stuff you can't measure, you know, and then the other fifty is you know, absolutely forces, physics, you know, chemicals, weight, you know, <laughs> like, like there's another side to architecture, which is so uh, pragmatic and, and I'm an in-between guy. So I, I, I like poetry and I like math. So it, it was kind of like a neat fit. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you went to UCT for what, engineering? Yeah, yeah. So I, I had a, an engineering scholarship uh, from Manpower in Lesotho. I actually wanted to be in many other things in, in life, but um, the, the scholarship pivoted me towards electromechanical engineering. That's where they said I should do based on my marks. And I was totally frustrated. Um, and because I wasn't into it, I didn't perform particularly well. I'm one of those guys, if I'm not into something performance tails, tails off rapidly. So I had like atrocious marks, <laughs> atrocious marks. Yeah. yeah. So I think yeah. to give some background, because uh, you're talking about manpower, you talk about Lesotho. So first of all, we went to the same high school. Um, sure. Uh, but manpower is, is the, I guess it's the de department that gives scholarships to Basotho kids to, to, to go and study. 
Um, and right. interesting enough, I was having a conversation with some guys recently because I wasn't sponsored by Manpower because the degree that I was going to do, they said I could do in Lesotho. Uh, and so I suspect there are quite a few people who ended up doing degrees they didn't want to do because that was the only way they could get fun, you know, fun, um, getting their education financed. Absolutely. No, no I, I, you're absolutely right. And I think it's good to, to give that context. I mean, I mean, just, just to be clear, the, the system in Lesotho at the time, you know, you were told that if you, if you were accepted um, and you had good marks, that you'd be supported. Um, and I was accepted at a number of universities, but every time I kept coming back to uh, manpower, they told me I must, I must, you know, pursue studies in a different country. I mean, first I was going to do aeronautical engineering in New York. Then they said, no, we don't want to support any students in the U.S. Uh, pick something in the Commonwealth. I got accepted in a couple of places in England, went back there with my papers. The lady was very, very efficient in terms of telling me, no, 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 no. Can you please focus on SADAC? I'm like, OK. <laughs> <laughs> and mind you, every time you apply, every time you apply, right, you, you, you can lose the cycle, right? Because there's a, there's a window that you're supposed to get your applications in. So. I was like yeah. panicking because I was basically late for all these places. Then it was then it was, it was a choice between WITS and UCT. And, you know, at the time there was this huge rush of, you know, everybody in Lesotho going to, to WITS and I just wanted something different, you know, so I said, let me go there. And, but yeah, and then, but, but you're absolutely right. I, I, I had no desire to be an electromechanical engineer. <laughs> I just wanted to design stuff, you know, and, and, and they said, no, then that's what you must do. So, but I'm glad that you were able to, to get, um, I didn't know that they didn't, they didn't want to fund you, but, uh, you know, anyway, I'm not even going to get down that route, but it's really <laughs> frustrating because the assumption that what's internal is as good as external, you know, mm. is, is, is another thing that needs to be unpacked, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it is interesting in terms of, for those of us who come from the and also the years that we came from. Lesotho. So, for example, yeah, you know, your your year, a lot of people are going to Vits, whereas my yeah. year, most most of the people went to Cape Town. So, you know, so all the Basotho. Oh, really? Who have been I didn't know Cape, that. Who have yeah. been in Cape Town yeah. for years? Um, yeah. Were from my kind of graduating class in high school, whereas I took a year off and I went, I went, I went to Germany, and then when I came back. Um, I also tried to apply for UCT, but I think they they wanted to take a break on Basotho kids, so I couldn't actually get in. Oh wow! That's and that's how I, that's how I ended up in Durban. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's amazing when how how life can like there's this assumption that we're always in control of our destiny, yeah. but very often. You know, you run as hard as you can, but then you get a bump in your elbow and you, you move into a different lane and you just got to keep running, right? Mm. <laughs> it's going to keep running, uh, man. But look, here we are uh, years later, um, uh, healthy and wiser than we yeah. were, you know? Yeah. You know, the, the, one of the words that, you know, what, that's commonly used is serendipity, you know, which is kind of mm. things falling into place. Um, I'd like to take a step back because... Um, sure. I, I, I know you, so I kind of know a bit of your history. Um, yeah. And, you know, you talking about this balance between the poetry and the, uh, let's call it the more formal approach to architecture. Um, yeah. 
when you were, you know, when you were growing up, and this is usually my first question, which is what did you want to be when you grow up? And I know that you grew up partly in the US. Um, sure. And, and, sure. And, and I do feel like that, you know, the juxtaposition of the US and then being back in Lesotho um, laid the seeds for, for this connection with, with a, I guess, a craft and art form that, that finds that that exists in this kind of balance between, between the purely creative and the purely formal. Sure. No, I, absolutely. So I think, um, so I think a couple of things, one, one is, you know, to accept that, um, at the time I didn't get it, but in retrospect, I look back now and, you know, I, I grew up in a house of extreme contradictions, right? So, so the, like the one layer is, you know, a, a family of Basutu in, in the United States, right? Um, father's an ambassador, um, you know, doing what he does. But at the same time, you know, Lesotho is, you know, definitely not one of the wealthier countries of the mm -hmm. world, right? So when you're in class and you say, what does your dad do? And you say ambassador, everyone's like, oh, wow, like baller. But like, no, 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 there's no balling. This is just, we just live here. <laughs> we just live here and we're, we're doing the best that we can. So like, so that's like one layer of contradiction. The other layer is, is you know, also being the, the child of, of, you know, born and bred Africans, right? Like, mm. like true and true and true. So they go to the United States in their adulthood, but now they're raising children. So they're trying to impart their values which are alien to a five-year-old, uh, you know, a 10-year-old, mm -hmm. you know, you know, bec because th the context that you're in is not the same, you know? So I remember like watching, you know, Bill Cosby in the hospitals and then going up to my dad afterwards and like, you know, can't we be friends, you know? And my dad was clear. He's like, I'll, I'll never be your friend. I'm your father. Right. <laughs> and, and, and you, and you can't, you can't explain that to another American kid. Hey, my dad is not my friend. <laughs> Yeah. What does that mean? Like, no, no, no. It's just, it's just one of those things. So I've always been in between. Let's put it that way. Always been in between. Um, uh, whether, whether it's, you know, you move in one space and something says, oh, you sound kind of different. Oh, you sound kind of different. Or, and I think that's kind of what made me settle with the, between this, this, this thing of, uh, you know, poetry and math. Like, I really like figuring stuff out. I love physics. Um, I got like that nerdy side to me. But at the same time, I love poetry. Like, honestly, like Coleridge is one of my favorite poets. Um, and he's like way, way old school. And then of course there's hip hop also, uh, you know, also in the mix. So I've, I've always kind of gone for the middle zone being in between, but that's also because that's always where I've been because mm -hmm. I've always had to move, to move to a new place. And I'm the outsider. I have to quickly, I have to quickly adapt, quickly make friends, quickly, flow but at the same time i'm very happy to flow out you know because you know you know i when i was even when i was growing up as a kid so i'm just going on for a bit i'm just reflecting i remember talking to some people and they'd say they'd be in one school literally from like play school until high school i mm. mean I, I remember i was switching up schools maybe every 18 months or every two years it was like here go here and make friends quickly do you know so it's always i've always been in that um homeless space, you know, to quote, uh, uh, who's, who's that famous musician? <laughs> Lady Smith, Black Mambazo, and uh, sure. our friend, uh, Paul Simon, you know, like, so, I mean, I'm not saying I'm a minor, don't get me wrong, but uh, that, that, that idea that anywhere is your home, 
right? What was and it like coming back? What was it like coming back to Lesotho? Because I know that. Um, so I mean, we went to a school yeah. that was unique in itself because we had multiple, you know, we had multiple nationalities. We had people from all over the world, uh, but at the same time, we didn't always make it easy for Basotho kids who had lived overseas and were now coming back and trying to find themselves and find their space within that environment. Yeah, but that's a very polite way of putting it. <laughs> Look, I, I, I honestly, I, I think if, without having any sort of, you know, bad blood or bad memories or whatever, the reality is, you know, when you're, when you're 13 years old and you're coming to what effectively feels like a new country and you don't know how to, I, you know, for example, I never kicked a soccer ball in my whole life. I, I used to play football. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what we did. And then first day at gym, someone throws a soccer ball at me. I try and catch it. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, like the whole, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> like that. And, and I'll say this, you know, our people have a, a, a very strong passive aggressive side to them. I mean, I, they might disagree with me, but I honestly, with, with, having visited many people around the world, we, we have a slight passive aggressive thing about it. And it can be hard in Lesotho, I must be honest. It, it mm -hmm. was hard. Um, it, it wasn't easy. And then, um, and also I think that the assumption was that, no, you see, we're quite sophisticated now. So, you know, if we took our kids to another country and to another school, we'd, we'd sit them down and we'd talk about how, the, how they're adjusting and are they making friends? Like there'd be a whole there'd be a whole dialogue right yeah, and uh, you know you know there'd be an enabling environment you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this, in those days it was very much sink or swim like you know here's your uniform these are your books go like you know and and i think uh it, it makes you tougher i think it makes you it makes you even more agile but um when you're a teenager man it's 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 doubly hard you know it's hormones it's thinking about ladies for the first time or men, depending on your preference or yeah. both. I mean, let's keep it open. Um, I mean, it was, it was a curious time. I, I can say with comfort, like the first two years were, it was like being in a, uh, like a Jim Carrey movie. It was totally surreal. Every, everything that happened was like, Oh wow. Really? Oh wow. Really? Oh, like it. I felt like a character in a movie yeah. <laughs> and the script I was not in control of. But, um, but, you know, th things adjust and change and, you know, you find your feet, you get your friends, you find your groove. Um, and also you accept that maybe you, you can't find your groove in other spaces, right? You find your mojo, you're like, okay, that's cool. That's cool. I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. How, how is it then shifting to South Africa um, and shifting to UCT? Uh, one, one you're, you're, you're finding your lane from a, let's say, from a professional perspective, from an academic perspective. Yeah. Um, but yeah. then also coming to this country at a very interesting time when there was immense transition and upheaval. Um, you know, yeah. how, how was it finding your space within all of that? I, I, I got to tell you, man, it was, so I, the, the way to answer that is I, I want to put into context what it was like being in New York, right? So, so my, my dad, like it felt like every day he was going to battle because he was going to the UN. He was fighting for sanctions. Um, we, we would often have some, you know, exiles coming to visit us. Uh, when, when people were being killed, you know, 
uh, not just in Lesotho, but elsewhere. Like you'd literally see the expression on my dad's face change. We would sit down and we would watch movies about what was happening. So we kind of had like this mission, mm. so to speak, about about a getting getting Lesotho up in the world, but also that was that was intimately intertwined with you know destroying apartheid, right? So so I had this like very strong affinity and emotional connection because it was. You know, and, and my dad's house was filled with books from the 60s, 70s, whatever, you know, black consciousness, you know, pan-Africanism, you know. So, so when I came to UCT, there was a slipstream because it felt at home. It was like, okay, this, this makes a lot of sense. And, and obviously, you know, Basotho and South Africans and culturally, I mean, there, there's so many similarities, yeah. you know, I mean, there, there are many dissimilarities, but there's immediately like, so much that's in common. So, so it was kind of nice, actually. It was, it was cool to feel at home, to feel aligned, to feel, um, to, I mean, obviously there were, there, were, there were other prejudices, right? Because some, some of our, our, our South Africans who are not well exposed to the, to the, to the Pan-African condition would start to think so it was a Bantustan and, a, mm. and, you know, like, you know, having to explain, no, dude, this is not trans guy, right? This isn't uh, some weird invention. This is a separate sovereign state. So there were those moments where um, I think some of, some of, you know, the local South Africans who, who were given a particular historical view of the rest of Africa, that was a bit of a challenge. But, but I think, I think, I think it's, it, to be honest, I felt the, I felt at home, at least on that level, I didn't feel at home with regards to music because I was a hip hop head, hardcore from like day one. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I left, I left the sort of as an MC and I come to UCT and it's, it's all, you know, hardcore Guaito and, you know, slick back hair and pointed Italian shoes. So I was like, I couldn't get this because I was like into my Tims and my baggy jeans. So at one level, again, I didn't fit in, but at another level, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, but that, that was an interesting period because then I remember when, you know, when Mischief came out from, from Chicago and he came to, to UCT and people like CeeLo and a whole bunch of other MCs, some of them rest in peace. So we, had, we ended up forming our own little cohort of people who were kind of connected to an expatriate hip hop experience. Mm -hmm. And those, and those years were actually, they, they were beautiful. They were, they were really, really beautiful and everybody worked hard and they were, freestyling and, and, and making good music, practicing beats. I mean, we were like, like musical fiends. And what, was, and what was nice about that was the, the correlation between that and architecture, believe it or not. To me, it was like the same thing because at the time in architecture, there was this movement um, um, called deconstructivism. So okay. that, which is basically the idea of like deconst deconstructing language. Um, and a lot of it comes from, you know, critical theory about how how we speak, how we convey words, how we convey ideas, and, and how does architecture convey those ideas. But, but hip hop is all about deconstructing language and then reassembling it, right? And, and reappropriating it and forming something different. So when I was doing my architecture, I kind of wore my MC hat on and I said, how do I deconstruct colonial architecture and make something that's, that's more African? And then finding inspiration by listening to what, you know, Jero the Damager would do on a verse and then bringing that back into, you know, so, so for me, it was, I found, I found like a happy medium between music, culture, and, and what I was studying. 
and and it it just happened to work out architecturally. It's it seemed to produce some pretty cool designs, <laughs> for which for which people said, "Hey, that's nice." And I was like, "Okay, cool. That's actually hip hop, but don't need to tell you that." But yeah. I mean, I find I find that, and you know, you and I had a conversation in front of multiple audiences some years ago. Um, yeah, I remember. I, and I Dope found, night. yeah. So I found I find that there's a beauty in 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 being able to apply the other influences of your life into into that space because you know like you're saying in the beginning where somebody's drawing a picture of a house and they say that's architecture for the layperson you know we just look at we look at buildings like we go okay well yeah yeah there's a building yeah. so that does the architect then draw the building uh, we don't even know about quantity surveyors or anything else that goes exactly into. yeah um yeah and and what I took away from you all those years ago was a better understanding of, of things like sp- space and how each, each one of these things influences not just how we navigate space, but also our perception of life and ourselves and all of these things. And, and I found that you took a, you, you, you kind of forged your own path when, once you finished school. Uh, because you kind yeah. of went on, you went on your own as opposed to, you know, going and working, yeah. you know, working in a firm. Why, why did you take that route? Well, two, two Was reasons. Was it intentional or by accident? Then maybe let's start there. <laughs> maybe you just couldn't get a job. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was absolutely intentional. I, I was, uh, I am ashamed, I'm ashamed to say it. I was actually hyper cocky. Like I was like, by the time I graduated, I was like, I got this. <laughs> like, like, let me, let me, let me do it. Like, get me some clients, uh, you know, and I, I did pretty well as a student. So that, that helped to reinforce that. And, um, and I was also always working, um, you know, during, during my break, right. Just to, to get some bread on the, on the, in the belly during vacation. So I, I, I felt fairly competent um, in a number of ways. And I had a lot of responsibility during my, 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 my sort of internships along the way. So no, I wanted to be an arc, and I also I was really hungry to show that it could be done. I mean, just to put it into context, I don't want to sound old or anything, but you know, at that time, there were no black architects that you could name. There were no black architects who had won an award. There was no, you know, if you were flipping through a a, a design magazine, it was not associated with with blackness or Africanness, right? Let's let's be honest now. I don't take anything away from the pioneers who came there before me because they do exist. Uh, people like Petit Morogele, who also comes from, you know, Lesotho, et cetera. So we, we do have, have those characters, but honestly, they, they, they were like the, the, almost like shooting stars. Like you, you mm. either you see it or you don't see it. So I had this burning desire, burning desire to, to A, show that I could do it, but B, to show that we could do it, right? Because part of the part of the subtext of, of studying at UCT at the time was this sort of you know, this liberal uh, liberal liberal context, but at the same time the notion that we are affirming you, you know, so we're, we're letting you study architecture. Mm-hmm. You're here by we're allowing you to do engineering, and 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 I I and I was so mad at that sense of because you can feel when people think that you're in the room because of the color of your skin and not because mm-hmm. of your, your, your talent, you know? So I, I was hell bent on making sure that if I'm in the room, people know that 
um, I'm competent irrespective of my race, but not only that, like, okay, if somebody can design better than me, I don't care where they're from, Mexico, Cairo, New York, bring it on, let's draw. So, and that, that maybe came from the sort of MC battling um, mentality, right? Like, like, you know, to be able to step up. So that, so that was it. So, and, and it's not like I did find a job immediately. I mean, that's a, that's a very good question. So I, I had these naive ideas that because you were good, that you would get work. I mean, that is not the case, uh, you know? So I remember, like, I think it probably took me 18 months before, before I actually got my first job. I registered myself as a company, as an individual and, and, and subcontracted myself. So everybody said, oh, we'll hire you. I said, no, don't hire me, hire my company. Mm. They say, who's your staff? I'm like, I'm the staff, you know, cause I, I, was, dead, I was dead set on this. And, and I got nailed on things like pay as you earn and this, cause they're not, no, well, you're a company. So search yourself out, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> you said you're a company, get your own equipment. Um, so yeah, so I, I, was, I, was, I was really adamant about changing that narrative and also hoping that by the time I finish in this game, when, when a first year or an 18 year old person of color decides to do architecture and they read what it's about, that they don't just, they don't just see a list of names or faces that they can't relate to mm. and, and feel that, okay, this doesn't belong to me, you know? Um, because remember, as young as we are, we're also old enough to know, we're old enough to remember what it was like that, you know, a lot of things were, it was assumed they were not for us, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's certain things that we'll do and certain things that, you know, we, we, we can't cut it. I mean, I remember in third year, I laughed so much. I'm, I'm going on for a bit, but you reminded me of stuff. Friend of mine, good friend of mine, um, um, white guy, that's totally irrelevant, but relevant. You'll see what I mean. So he had a friend in the military and, uh, and, and this guy was telling him that they don't allow uh, black people to become pilots because they can't see in 3D. Like this was the actual narrative. <laughs> right? So, so my friend is like, my friend is like, yo, hold up. My, my best friend is like, he's top of the class. And trust me, he can see in 3D. But this other guy, <laughs> like, like that, that, this, is, this is not like 1860s. This is like, this is, this is our lifetime. Somebody really genuinely thought that, you know, you can't, you can't have black people I'm, I'm fine. I mean, architecture, I'm flying a fighter jet, but the rationale is, it's amazing. And that's what it was like. I mean, we've, we've advanced so much, but when I was studying, there was a, there was a heck of a lot of prejudice um, around our abilities, but not even us, our abilities, whether our, our, whether we have something to offer. Does that make sense? Like, mm. it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to teach you um, black Africans to become architects, but we're going to start from scratch because there's nothing in your culture and your traditions that that's useful for architecture. So we're going to teach you. So we, that was the other fight, which was to say, okay, we're going to learn this, but actually we're, we're going to bring who we are into the conversation and our villages and our this, and we're not going to leave that at the front door because we're now being taught architecture. So that, and that was the big fight. Actually, the fight wasn't getting into architecture. The fight was the fight to be, an architect, but drawing upon your culture for inspiration. That, 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 and that, that is still ongoing, actually. The Listen to Your Footsteps podcast is an extension of the book, Listen to Your Footsteps, which is a collection of essays, reflections, as well as poems on a range of topics. In this podcast, I chat to Africans around their journey 
um, and they come from a range of different industries and sectors. Where do you feel we are with that? Because it, it still feels like uh, the, there's much to be gained from it, uh, but it still feels like it's, it's, it's an afterthought to a certain extent, or it's exotic, or it's, it's, it's an exception. Um, you know, so for example, oh, like Sir David Ajay and anything he yeah. does because he's had that level of validation. It's like, okay, yeah. when he brings, when he brings yeah. African design and aesthetic into his architecture, it's like, yeah, but that's him. What's it like for yeah. everybody else? Exactly, 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 exactly. And, and I got a lot of time for, for David. He's such a cool cat on, on so many levels, but we've also spoken about this, me and him, like, we've spoken about his journey in, in the UK and how he had to get there, but also how other people probably got, you know, uh, let's say dissimilar or similar accolades, but probably didn't have to walk the road that he had to mm. walk um, and having to justify and explain. Um, and the beauty of, of, of his work, and we'll talk about other stuff just now, is that, you know, I personally, as an architect, as Mugena, don't always agree necessarily with how David has interpreted a particular motif or something about Africa. Mm. But what's more important is that that's irrelevant because Africa is not monolithic. Like exactly. it's actually, be it's actually beautiful for David to say, no, I'm taking up, I like what Francis Carey does. I like, and, and, and to get to that point where, where the public accept that, you know, if there's going to be an amazing African architect, you might end up with three different expressions, but it's still African you know, we're not quite yet there. Like some people would say, well, to be African, it must be colorful. To be African, you know, you need to have, uh, you know, horns on the wall. To be African, like all of these things, you need to have um, plastered, you know, hand plastered walls in the passageway. And I'm like, yeah, it is that and more. Yeah. Like, like, like don't, don't put us in the box. Of course it's that stuff, but it could be the way we think about our kitchens. It could be the way we think about our bedrooms. It could be the way that, we use our living rooms differently to other cultures. You know, like there's so many things which aren't in the surface. So, and I think we've got a long way to go. Um, but I, but I also want to. I, I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like it's a, like a lost cause. There are some amazing, amazingly talented architects and designers coming out and just wrecking things up. And also in the fashion industry, you know, people like Matkosa and so on. I mean, they're they're doing what needs to happen in architecture, taking something like fashion and saying, let's take my colors, tradition, modernize mm. it and, and transform it. So, and, and I think that if I look now compared to where it was maybe when I finished or when I was studying, I think it's a totally, totally different world. But is that translating down into the way a corporate might decide to do its headquarters? Probably not. Um, is that translating in terms of how we think about how we design our schools? Probably not. Is that translating into how we think about our hospitals? Probably not. Like, like you, you'll find those expressions more in the, the exotic spaces you described, like the museums and the, it hasn't become mainstream. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when it's mainstream, we want the, you know, the, the Tuscan house. When we want African, we will do it for the gallery. Yeah. So again, the, the African is the exotic and what's normative is, is, is European. We, we haven't gotten to that point where we've flipped it, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. It was interesting. Um, there was a guy, Christian, 
I think it's Benny Mani. I think he's, he's yeah, from Rwanda. Ben, ben yeah, he's a cool guy. He's a cool cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I heard him speak at uh, Design Indaba. And I actually yeah. interviewed him kind of later on. And, and what I found interesting was how he had, I think he designed a hospital in, in a rural area yeah. in, in Rwanda. And he, hmm. talked, he talked about, he talked, he literally just, he, he reworked the layout of the maternity ward, the awards mm-hmm. in general, but maternity ward in particular, because traditionally it was, it was small and dark. And, and so they were finding that women's, women's experience of, of a child's birthday, and, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing, and this is just kind of from memory, oh, uh, but, yeah. but he was saying you know, they found that when a woman was, a child remembers their birthday with fondness, right? So it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a time of celebration. But mm-hmm. for the mother, because it was the, the environment was so dark and difficult, Mm, that for mm. the mother, the mother did not have the same, the same enthusiasm for the birthday because it, it was a trigger. It reminded her of that very difficult period. And he, so he, he, he talked about how just by changing the space, bringing in more light, having more windows, yeah. Changed, yeah. Changed, changed both the mother and the child's experience and, and brought them closer together. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, which, that's, that's which we don't think about. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. as a as a lay person, we don't think about. I mean, I remember you talking about a, and I'll actually, I'll ask this as an extension. But I remember years ago asking you um, projects that you are most proud of, and you talked about a police station. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and you yeah. talked about what the police, just by redesigning and reworking the police station, you change the relationship with the community. Um, yeah. So I'd like you to talk about that, and as as well as say if that's still the project you're most proud of. <laughs> I I yeah, it's 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 still it still is. I mean, um, I'll I'll list a couple of other projects which have happened since, and which, and I'm proud of in different ways, right? So, um, but to, just to just to close the circle on your point about Christian, I mean, absolutely. I mean, he, he's such an amazing architect, but that's exactly what we do. Is that so ordinary people think, okay, how tall is it? And how wide is the room? Can we fit the gurney in? Where's the equipment go? It's a very functionalist way of looking at the space. But I think what, what makes architecture unique is we're obsessed with the next level of question, you know? So how does, how does, a, you know, how does a house become a home? Um, is some of the things we think about. How does childbirth not just become, you know, about sanitary, sanitary, sanitary um, environments, but, you know, an experience. Um, and that's the poetic that's the poetic dimension, which it's it's sad because we often don't get credit because we're thinking about those things mm. and actually and actually being quite rigorous about it and actually quite quite concerned. And most people are unconscious of the things that we are doing for them. But if you take it away, they'll be aware of it. Does that make yeah. sense? So yeah. if I put you if I put you in a in a you know a deep in a a slum or a shanty town, you will immediately be aware of the absence of design. You'll, you'll, you'll pick it up. You'll be like, this is not working. But when design is working, it's, it's invisible. People just feel good, but they don't even realize the, the space is, you know, is playing a part, a part in it, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, which, which is both a, a gift and a curse, I suppose. Now onto the, onto the, onto the question of the, the, the works that have, 
that I'm most proud of. I was just compiling some slides the other day for a, another interview that I that I done, and um, I probably have like maybe five projects that I'm super proud of. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll end off with 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 uh, the police station because that's probably it's still it's still number one. So I'll start maybe maybe in reverse order. Like I'm super proud of being part of the team that helped make the the convention center in, in Cape Town. So it was a joint venture. Uh, see architectural practices. Um, the largest building in in the city by far, and will probably stand as probably the largest urban building for for a couple of years. Mm. And that building was, you know, challenging. It's very technical, a convention center. This it's also not super sexy. Like people don't think, hey, let's go to the convention center. It's seen, it's a very functional building, but it plays such a big role in the the economy of the city and so on. And it's important to getting, you know, hotels working, making us a competitive destination for, so I was super proud of helping to build that up. That's probably my, my, my number five. Um, the next public project I'd probably mention would be the, you know, the silo district um, at, at the waterfront. Uh, it's a commercial project. Um, being part of a large team there, including Thomas Heatherwick and others, uh, where I was the, one of the main designers for the, the urban planning, and we did some housing there. But it was just a just a remarkable moment because, in many ways, that project for me is almost an extension of work I did eight years ago, where I was lobbying very hard for a museum of design in Cape Town. Mm. And at the time, everybody was like, you know, why design? We have enough museums. You know, we don't want to take money away from the National Gallery. This is going to siphon resources from Lotto. Why do you want to focus on design? And at the time, I was really trying to push the idea that, you know, there is art, no question, and I love art, but design is, 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 is art plus function, and it's, it's, it's industry, it's creativity, it's, it's what we do, right? You know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's music, it's, it's fashion, you know, it's not, it's not pure art. And I said, we need to celebrate that. So when the Silo Project came about, even though I wasn't designing a museum, but I was involved in the broader, let's call it matrix of stuff, I was proud, you know, and I look back at, you know, my, my design. Well, I have my own comments about my design and we have comments about what's on, on site right now, which is absolutely amazing, but, you know, different approaches. Um, but I'm proud because I feel like, you know, there's like, a, there's like a spark which starts a fire, you know, there's like the mm. ash which you, you blow on it and the kindling takes, take, gets lit. So I'm super proud of that. And I'm proud of the fact that we have this, this institution now that that that's a sign of confidence in in arts and and design so but then a project that i would rate above that one definitely would be uh, cape town station i i have mixed feelings about that project only because it's a it's a project which hasn't um gotten enough uh support in terms of annual maintenance so you can see your vision crumbling year by year mm -hmm. when the paint starts peeling and and balustrades start to fall and, and light bulbs aren't being replaced and taps in the bathroom uh, are missing. Um, but at the same time, I'll always remember that that building every day, you know, 280,000 people use it to get to home or to get to work. Those 280,000 people are the lifeblood of the Western Cape economy. If the station shuts down, basically there is no, there is no functioning economy. And also the, the desire, uh, and I hate these categories, so, but I use them just to communicate, but I hope you're with me, right? 
like to create a facility which was associated with working class labor and saying they deserve as much dignity as anybody else in the city. So let's invest in them. For me, that was a political, that was a political project, you know, and I was like, and that's, and I still hold that true. So, because, you know, these are our mothers and aunties and, you know, and, you know, nieces who are cleaning people's houses, who are working elsewhere. Some of them are working in corporate offices, but, you know, they, you know, there's a whole question of dignity. So that, that for me was a, that was a big thing. And I'm super proud of that. And then, but, and it's also the scale. I'm also proud of the scale. The, The police station I'm proud of because security is something that, that is dear to all of us. Like we know that we're in a violent country. We hear about the statistics about gender-based violence. We read about the murder stats. We know we're not in a safe country. We also know that the police have not done the best that they could in terms of their role in making people feel safe. Um, and so we've got a problem. So we've got a problem and, and we're trying to fix it. Uh, we continue to try and fix it, but we still have a problem. There's huge distrust between communities and police mm. and there's faults, on, there's faults on both sides. So the fact that I was able to make a building that could help one community to feel a bit more comfortable about the police. Um, you know, if you imagine somebody who's been sexually abused or, or battered or or, or mugged and the, 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 the trauma of having to go to a police station and fill out the affidavit, you know, um, and sometimes to be disbelieved or mm. there's, a long, there's a long queue or, or you walk into a building and you feel as if you are the criminal, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Even, though, even though you're going there for, for, for justice, you can't measure these things. But as, as somebody who's maybe been on the other side of that or known people have been on that side, I was super proud to make a building where I looked at it and I was like, if this just makes somebody else's life that much better um, in, in engaging with the police, great. But if it also makes the police feel that we value you and you are a trusted public servant and we were investing in you, mm. you know, and if that makes that person wake up that morning and feel a little bit better and probably have less inclination for police brutality at 5 p.m. on a Friday night, you know, all of that stuff, or, or just make them a bit more calmer when they're going home after seeing atrocities in the day and now they're at home and they're meant to be normal again, but they've seen so much and there's, no, there's no, not, not enough mental support or, or, or therapy for these people. If there's anything I can do in the architecture to help that, if it means deciding that it's going to be white as opposed to blue and it's going to help, I'm going to fight for the white. So there's, there's also this other side about architecture that I know it's powerful, but I also know it's, it's, incredibly, it's incredibly powerless. Like no, no building will stop crime. No building mm. will give us democracy. No building will stop um, a politician from stealing. No, you know, buildings don't do that. They don't. But they, they do make you behave differently. You know, it's highly unlikely you're going to go gambling in a cathedral. It's highly unlikely you're gonna you're gonna decide to make a, a business deal on the casino floor. It's you know it's the, the space tells us what we do and what we don't do, mm. and and my job is to try and help make spaces to tell us how to be better citizens. That's all. That's all my job. You know, just better citizens, better people, 
um, you know, even even if it only moves the needle one percent, and that's my job. The, the other fifty percent can be done in in Parliament, but let me do my job. <laughs> you know, that's that's how I look at it, and that and that's why those things are important to me because it's like I, I I never wanted to do architecture just to to have fancy houses on on the Atlantic seaboard and and satisfy my my ego about how much money I can spend on a light fitting. To me, it was like our people need good design because we've been deprived of it for so long and mm -hmm. almost been told we don't deserve it, you know, which is the other part, like, we don't deserve it. Or you deserve it if you're rich. I don't agree that. I think we all deserve a minimum level of, of good design. So to start to wind down, because um, I said in the beginning, you have lots of titles attached to your name or lots of labels attached to your name, which is... <laughs> I hope I mean, labels are good thing. <laughs> it, well, it's, it's something that I struggle with. Um, it's something that I struggle with, and I've written about quite a bit. Uh, yeah. You know, but there's architect, there's artist, there's designer, there's curator, there's all of these things. Um, but I know that yeah. you also have you 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 have interesting projects that you pursue. You have passion projects that you pursue. Um, yeah. That that you you are. Let's see. I think absolute about about following it to its conclusion, however long that takes. Sure. Um, sure. So what I want to know is how do you then how do you decide on projects within architecture, but also just projects that that straddle all of these spaces? I mean, talking about, for yeah. example, as a starting point, Mullomitsi. Uh, uh, which yeah. is which is a tequila <laughs> brand, right? And, and and you've been on this thing. Yeah. You've been on this. I know. Thing for what now it's a good one <laughs> six seven years uh, is it six now is it six well including covid probably probably four or five but you're right it's it's no, been some time yeah i have yeah. the first i have the first message that you sent me with all the artwork literally the artwork oh snap your eyes right. yeah <laughs> i mean you basically did everything from kind of a to z including how yeah. do you, how do you grow plants in lesotho and yeah. make tequila <laughs> yeah 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 or make agave spirit the mexicans uh, would be very, spirit, yeah. they, 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 they'd be very adamant about the term tequila but uh yeah so it's a very good question so i'll, I'll answer it by by saying that we we have limited time um on earth um i want to sound all spiritual but I, I really believe that and and i think that um i i i I'm of the opinion that there are certain things that I'm aware that I will not finish. Okay. And I'm humble enough to, to accept that. There are certain things that I need to do so that my children or somebody else's children could be inspired to take forward. So it's a bit like that museum project. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you do the spark. I didn't end up designing the museum of design. Somebody else did, but basically, you know, you could, you could almost genealogically trace, you know, those origins partly to what I did and maybe a couple of other people around the time. So that's the first thing. So the one is actually being humble about whether or not you're going to finish something actually gives you courage. Because I think some, so many people don't start stuff because they're worried about failing. Mm. I'm more worried about not producing. I'm not worried about failing or it's like, I want to produce. So I, I will, you know, and what I, and what, what I find interesting about some of those projects, is I actually shelve them, you know, to be honest. Sometimes I'm like, you know, it's not a good time that the universe isn't aligned. Mm. Um, it's COVID, it's this. My interests have shifted, and then six months later, somebody will call me and say, "Hey, um, what did you do with that project?" I'm like, "Well, it's on the shelf. Can't we do something?" 
So, and that's when I, that's when I resuscitate them. So one thing I want to say is that I don't try and force things too much. I, 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 I'm very much about put something into the universe, see what happens. And if it's not the right time, I chill. And then, and then, and then it, then it comes back. I mean, um, for example, I've, I've picked up on my writing phenomenally in the last year and a bit. Um, I wrote quite a bit, like about eight years ago, I stopped writing entirely. And then I picked up the pen. I'm like on my fifth manuscript. I'm working on the graphic novel. I'm working with artists on the visualization of some of the characters. We've written a script. So I think I mentioned this to you. So we're mm -hmm. thinking quite hard about how do we pitch it to, to uh, media houses. Um, and that's something which I showed for like five, six years. Now, my hope, my hope is that when I, when I die and they're describing what McKenna was doing or whatever, or, or my kids are, uh, you know, just, you know, checking over my old sketchbooks or the stuff, they'll be like, this dude didn't waste his time, right? Like he didn't waste his time. Like he, he didn't win everything he started, but he didn't waste his time. Um, you know, he, he built, he did buildings, he did this, you know, wrote music with his friends. Um, you know, here's his, some of his writing. Um, because again, it just goes back to that experience I had going to UCT in first year and, you know, you're walking down the passage uh, at the time of engineering. They used to have all the photos of the previous graduates of, of engineering and you'd walk down and literally year by year, year by year, decade by decade, and you hardly see anybody who looks like you. So I was like, you know what, I, I got to change that. So I, I want to be prolific in as many spaces and places as possible so that we change the complexion of what success or even failure looks like. And um, uh, that's why my background right now is, you know, Black Panther. I mean, it's not just a movie for me. It's, it's, a, it's an idea of that we have something to offer the world. Uh, we are not here to take from the world. You know, mm -hmm. we're here to add value if you see our value in a different sort of way. So, so yeah, I do wear, I, I do wear different hats. I'm also, frankly, intellectually greedy. So if there's, if there's a problem or a challenge, I, I do get excited by difficult things and it, uh, and it keeps my brain busy. Um, yeah, yeah, I, 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 suppose, I suppose that it, that's it, you know. So between the graphic stuff, Mulomiti, which, you know, recently a colleague of mine was like, you know, when COVID comes down, let's really talk about it. I had some investors from the US coming back. I was like, guys, I shelved this thing a year and a bit ago. Yeah. And they're like, no, no, no. We want it. We want it. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'll post some images. So, so I, I think a big part of the narrative is not being afraid to, it's kind of like being a serial entrepreneur. It's like you project the idea, you see what lands, you move, you try, you move. Mm -hmm. And just having the courage to, to reinvent yourself is something that I think we as Africans need to claim because all too often we're told what we should be. We're told this is what you must study. We're told you must do this. You must work for this one person. You mustn't do this. You, you shouldn't divorce. You shouldn't like. There's, there's a whole lot of rules, mm. which some of which are there to help us, but some of them just kill our dreams, right? So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna try things out. So now what I like about yeah. it is it's not a, it's not that it's not the whole we have the same 24 hours as so and so, which which yeah. then which then ties the let's call it success of it to a material thing. Right. Um, yeah, Cause I, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I do the same thing. Like I, so there was a life coach I used to see and he, so he likened me to the, 
he was like Russian, the Russian guys at the circus with the plates, the sticks and the plates. Uh, you know, where the guy puts okay. a stick down, puts a plate on top yeah. and spins it, right? And then puts a yeah. second stick down, puts a plate on top and spins it. And then by yeah. the time he gets to like the fifth stick, the first one is starting to wobble a little bit. So he spins that to keep it going. And and he, he said to me that that was my problem. Like, I have so many plates spinning that I'm not really doing anything with it. And what he made me do was go through an exercise where I decided on the things that I felt yeah. I wanted to pursue the, the yeah. things that I was happy to put on hold, but also the things that I'd never do, like to kind of go, well, yeah. you know, if I'm going to be honest with myself in terms of the list of my list of priorities, I'm never actually <laughs> going to do that. And if somebody else does it, great. You know, it's like, yeah. it's yeah. great if somebody yeah. else does it, but I'm not going to sit there and go, oh, that person did it and is extremely successful. Now I should have held onto it and done it. Um, yeah, the good point. Yeah, which, which, which is which is which is i think a mind shift like you're saying for us as africans that we can navigate to the different spaces and you follow it to its conclusion for you not correct yeah not not yeah, the conclusion yeah. that society says okay you know if if you start this you must be there to finish it and reap all the rewards of it it's like maybe yeah, your job exactly. was literally just to lay the spark no absolutely i i and you, bro, I mean, it's, it's such a beautiful way of looking at it. I mean, I actually, and I think it's profoundly African because we, we are creating legacy for a future generation of Africans who will be liberated from the prejudices that we had. Our parents dealt with, let's say, direct prejudices and mm -hmm. our parents' parents is probably, so it's like, basically it's a cascading thing now. So I think our generation is here to, to, let people know that they can dream as much as they want. Mm. I look at, I look at maybe the next generation and maybe they're the ones who will unlock the dreams. You know, I, I think of, you know, Serena Williams dad, uh, you know, I mean, despite that the age gap, I imagine that what we're talking about is probably what's going on in his head or what was going on in his head. Yeah. He's not going to play, he's not going to play tennis, you know, but he's going to create the framework to allow his child to imagine that they can be anything that they want, which then allows the Williams to know that they've done it. Their children will be free, well, probably burdened because, you know, hey, my, my mom is, you know, Venus, you know uh, Venus Williams. But the point is, it's like a, a, an increasing liberation of the mind, you know, yeah. and I think our, gen, our generation is like, you know what, we can think differently, we can do stuff differently. I, I might not be Rockefeller or a, or a, or a, an agave spirit mogul in my lifetime. It's okay. It's like the founder of Tabasco, you know, <laughs> passed, passed, passed away, made this pay. I don't know how many bottles he made in his whole lifetime. And now the factory makes more in a day than they did in his whole career. Right. Mm. But he, he knew he was just making Tabasco. So yeah, I think we're, we're that developmental generation that I think it's our duty to, to be as open-minded as possible because our parents were told, you'll be a doctor, you'll be a lawyer, you'll be a this, you'll be a that, you'll be a cleaner. Like, I want to decide that for myself and for my kids to realize it's not just a, a statement. It's like, no, actually, he did do it. Yeah. And then he stopped. He stopped and he moved on. And, and the house didn't go fall apart. Nobody said that, oh, he's a... Like, for example, me kind of transitioning out of architecture now, which I do a little bit of, but I'm doing... My career is really much more in strategic consulting at a at a global scale at an amazing firm and some of my architect colleagues are like 
oh, we thought that you'd be an architect until you die. You know, like, like that was your, I'm like, I said, well, the training is in me and, and I've always designed the art thing now and again, but I'm not going to be 95 years old, you know, sketching doors. I mean, no, I, I need to be doing other things. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I need to be collaborating with those guys. I, I, you know, like I, I, you know, no, like, so I think it's our job to consistently transform. At I least mean, our generation's the, job. Uh, yeah. So it was always interesting for me in high school. Um, I had an epiphany, I think, like form three, form four, in reading about colonialism, like in history, because I enjoyed history. Mm. And yeah. looking at my father one day and realizing that my father was in his mid to late 20s when the colonialism that I was reading about in books that seemed so far away ended. Like yeah. Ghana gained independence in 57. Lesotho was about 66. Like yeah. our parents yeah. grew up, the stuff that we're reading about in a book where you're just like, wow, like it was really hectic <laughs> in those days. Yeah. And, yeah. and they yeah. were well into, you know, they were well into their adulthood when those things yeah. ended. Um, and, yeah. and like you're saying, I believe that we're all links in a chain. Um, and yeah. I believe that the job of each generation is to raise the, is to take a step up. So my father, you know, my father took us a step up and I, I launched from a step higher than, than he started from. And exactly. my job is to do the same thing for my children so that they're not starting from where I started. They're starting from a step up. Yeah. Yeah. No, completely, completely aligned. I mean, I remember uh, just to, to latch onto your story also, um, talking to my dad and he was telling me about when they were deciding the Lesotho flag, it sounded so abstract. And he said that they were like, you know, not, not quite competitions because it wasn't the same sort of thing, but they were like discussions, you know, what should our flag be? Like, can you imagine like debating what should, and then there were like rallies and things happening. And then I remember talking to my, my late uh, grandfather, well, my father's also late. My late grandfather was like telling me when they tried to introduce uh, attacks on radios, in the village. This is like in the 1930s because we, yeah. we were discussing um, uh, TV licenses and yeah. why, why it's so absurd. And he's like, listen, we, we, we refuse to pay radio taxes in the 1930s. You know, you're not going to find a herd boy paying <laughs> exactly. a tax for his radio. <laughs> so he was like, so we're not paying, we're not paying TV license taxes because it's the same thing. It's a radio wave. And, but to talk to somebody who's been, can you imagine like, the level of tech at that at that time and and what they did to get their children and you know so so I don't mind if if you know I look I'm inspired by so many things that my grandfather did and and some of them were fairly perhaps ordinary compared to today's standards but they were extraordinary in its own time mm -hmm. and I think that's also we got to do we just got a big story I think the story of your dad you know the sort of Ghana moving around you like just just the ability to move. Remember, there's a time that Africans couldn't even really move yeah. freely, you know, like just, just to be able to immigrate was like, wow, like, wow. This, you know, <laughs> now it's normal. And I, you know, so everybody steps up, you know, and, um, and it's, I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So, so I don't mind being, um, having many different labels. Um, there'll be the odd people who wonder, you know, where did this go? Why didn't this finish? What happened? I'm like, no, that's not my journey. My journey is not to, do one thing and one thing only my, my journey is to show how many things we can do mm. you know um you know um and find and also to find out my limits i mean that's another thing it's like i want to know my limits you know whether it's physically mentally 
business, whatever. That's why discussing how to grow plants, became a quasi-agriculturalist as well as a, a distiller, uh, became an expert in glassmaking, you know, arguing with glassmakers in China about how thick the glass of my, my bottle should be and having a rational debate, like not, not being crazy, like yeah. I have facts. Like you will make the glass thicker <laughs> for this and this reason. And, and then being with, with my staff and they're like, how do you know how to, you know, design bottles? I said, no, I don't. I, I just read. And, and yeah, it's, it's nice to have those, those um, experiences. I, I, I want to be that really cool granddad, you know, who like has like crazy stories by the by, you know, just like, you know what, sit over here. Let me tell you, <laughs> ba, 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 ba. <laughs> I want to be that guy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, but we'll see. If I, if I get there, let me see how quickly I get there or how slowly I get there. Yeah. On that note, my man, thank you very much. We could, no, we thank could you. probably I... go on forever, but yeah, let's, let's, let's stop this for now. Uh, and then probably, hopefully check in down the line. Absolutely. Now let's, let's stay in touch. And also, um, yeah, man, you also, I, I, you know, I've said this before, I'll just say it again. I mean, you're, you're a proper light, proper leading light, doing incredible things. Um, much respect, all I'm going to say. Much Thanks, respect. Man. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Take care, bro. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I enjoyed having the conversation with McKenna Makeka. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share with other people that you feel may also be interested. Um, please do subscribe or leave a review on wherever you listen to your podcast. We are available on a range of platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and I hope you will continue to support us as we navigate this journey.